let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 11. And uh, I sure am thankful that uh, we serve a holy God, uh, but not just a holy God, as we saw this morning, also a very forgiving God, uh, despite the fact that we do not deserve it one bit. Uh, thankful for that. Uh, but we're in 1 Kings chapter 11 tonight, and it sure has been quite a great ride through this book up to this point, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I like going through this book, I really do, I've really enjoyed it, uh, on Sunday nights there's, there's something, to me, maybe not to you, maybe you're like, oh it's so boring, but to me, uh, there's something special about Sunday nights, I really, I really enjoy that, and uh, uh, of course we have a lot of faithful people that attend the church and are here on Sunday nights, and I feel the same way about Wednesday nights, it's good. Uh, to be here as much as we can be, right? It's good to be in God's house uh, on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But it has been a really, uh, really interesting to see really the, what's been leading up to what we're going to find tonight with Solomon. And uh, we've seen the establishment of his throne. We've seen the events that have led up to his uh, success and his riches and his wisdom and his power, and the, really how powerful Solomon it was as a person in his kingdom. We've seen Solomon make a lot of wise choices. We've seen him make some poor decisions. We've seen him make a lot of money. And we've seen him build a great temple uh, for the Lord. In chapter 10, which is where we were uh, previously a couple weeks ago, we really saw the pinnacle of Solomon's success. We know that he was a rich and powerful man. He was a powerful king, and there was no other king on earth like he was. He had more property and more gold and possessions and servants and riches than any of us can really even fathom. I mean, we just, it is beyond comprehension. He had so much money and gold and possessions, there's no way he could even know what to do with it all. I mean, he, he, used, he used silver for stones, right? I mean, he had so much. Uh, he used gold uh, to make uh, shields, and he just had a lot. So uh, there was, of course, no man and no king in a better position of wealth and power at this time uh, than Solomon. And it's very clear that the blessing of God was upon his life. He was experiencing much physical prosperity. However, and of course, you've probably been waiting for that. However, Due to his love of earthly things, we now arrive to his unfortunate downfall in 1 Kings chapter 11. And, you know, we've been anticipating this, haven't we? Like, I, I've mentioned it several times. We'll just wait till chapter 11. Uh, it's coming. He, he's going to be uh, have his downfall and his decline. And that's where we are uh, this afternoon or this evening. And uh, despite the immense blessings of God, Solomon, as we often do, wanted more and more and more. And really seemingly insignificant sins would lead to the recording of one of the most saddest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, which is verse 4 of chapter 11, as it reads, When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Now, I had intended, as I do sometimes, I had intended on getting through nine whole verses tonight. <laughs> but it's most likely that I'm only going to get through four. So we're going to... We're going to talk about spiritual decline over the next couple weeks. Uh, well, next week we have the Lord's table, but we're there. I mean, there's a lot to look at when it comes to his decline. And we don't want to just rush through it. We, of course, want to take our time. So that's what we're going to do. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter uh, 11. Look at verse 1. 
It says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. I thank you uh, for the beautiful sunshine that we have uh, experienced today. And Lord, I, I thank you that spring is coming. And uh, I thank you, Lord, for the people that have made it out here uh, tonight and be with those that are unable to be with us because of traveling and whatnot, Lord, and sickness. And I pray, God, that you'll help us tonight. Uh, we know uh, anytime the Bible is opened and preached that you have something for every single person that is sitting here listening I pray that you'll speak to our hearts and challenge us and give us exactly what we need tonight in your holy name. Amen. One of the great things about the Bible, and trust me, there's a lot of great things about the Bible, but one of the great things about the Bible is the ability that we have to look at the example of other people in the Bible. We can look at the example of Solomon's downfall so that we can avoid a downfall of our own. We can look at the example of Solomon's decline so that we can avoid a spiritual decline for ourselves. Now, here's the thing. It's very tempting, even for myself, to, to look at Solomon with distaste and with disgust for this great decline. And maybe you're the same way. Maybe you've had times where you read that and you're like, man, how could somebody do such a thing? How could uh, Solomon do X, Y, and Z? But I want you to understand... Now, the Bible warns against doing that. It warns against doing that. Uh, whenever we look at the Bible and we see a tremendous fall, as we do here with Solomon, we have to remember we too are flesh. We too are just as capable of committing great sins. Really, the same sins uh, that, that, that brought Solomon to the place where he turned his heart from God. We too are capable of going astray. We too are capable of running from God. We too are capable of doing that which we would shake our head at. We too are just as capable of falling from grace or losing our way or rebelling against God until He chastens us and brings us back into the fold. You and I, we are all capable of doing that. And there's no exception. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, you know where I'm going with this, you know the verse, and we're going to look at it anyway. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Let's just stop right there. I, like, I really like how Paul puts this. If somebody is overtaken in a fault or a sin, if you are so spiritual, you know what you should do? Have meekness. Try to help restore them. Be forgiving. It does not say to be critical. 
It does not say to go around town slandering them. It does not say uh, to gossip about them. It says, hey, you're so spiritual, then why don't you help them out? Look at verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. How's your self-esteem doing now? <laughs> it's unfortunately very easy in our pride to look at a man, again, like Solomon, and then think ourselves to be something. And we're like, well, you know, I've never, I never had 700 wives, right? I'm, I'm doing great, right? I'm not, I'm not like this guy. But really, look, we need to be very wary of such foolishness. And likewise, the same can be said about people in the church and people in the community and, and people that we know in general. If somebody commits what we see as a great sin, we must not be so prideful to think it could never happen to us. Because it could. We must not be so prideful to think that, that we are better than they are. Because, again, as Galatians says right there, we just looked at verse 3. We too are nothing. We too our flesh. We too are capable of committing wicked sins just as Solomon or anybody else in this world. Listen, as much as we like to think that there is, there's really nothing special about us. We are flesh. We still have the old man that tempts us to do things that we should not do and to sin against God. So, over the next however many weeks it takes to get through uh, this chapter, then I, I encourage you to do to, to really just think about, okay, how can I learn from this? How can I avoid a decline and a downfall uh, of my own? And use what you're going to find from the scriptures to help your own hearts be more aligned with God and be committed to weeding out sin that's in your life that so easily besets us. So what we see in this text and, and what we're going to learn is the fact that small sins always lead to big disasters. And Solomon really is a case study uh, on the subtlety of sin. So let's, let's look again at 1 Kings chapter 11. Go back to our text in ver, for, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. And look at verse 1 and 2. Look at 1 Kings 11, 1 and 2. It says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. I'd like to start out by taking note of this word loved here. Okay, In verse 1 it says that Solomon loved many strange women. This word love, it's... It's a, it comes from a Hebrew word that means a human love of a human object with a carnal desire. That's what was happening here with Solomon. And this narrative is so tragic because here we see Solomon's love has changed. When he began his reign, church, understand that his heart belonged to God. His heart was exclusively God's. His heart was geared towards him. And Solomon's story as king, it started out with a deep reverence for God and a deep love for God. And now, here we are years later, and his love has changed. He has a new love. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3. Turn back a few pages. 
1 Kings chapter 3, and look at verse 3. First Kings 3, verse 3. And again, this is in the beginning of Solomon's reign. And look at verse 3. It says, and Solomon, look what it says, loved what? He loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. So he, he really has a dramatic change, doesn't he? In the beginning of his reign, he, he, he loved God, but now here we are in the latter part of his life in 1 Kings chapter 11, and he, now he loves women, certain women, strange women, and uh, he left his first love. But the, the worst part about this is that he did not only love strange women, these women that he loved were women that God had forbidden him to love and had forbidden him to even have any association with. Let's go back to First uh, Kings chapter 11 and see that. Look at these, who these women were that Solomon loved. This word strange here in verse 1, it speaks to pagan women. Look, at, look what it says again in verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, the Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. So, so these women were, as it says, they were Moabites and Ammonites, and these were descendants of Lot. They were Edomites, which were descendants of Esau, uh, Zidonians, and Hittites. They, these women were women from pagan nations. And this is a problem. Why? Because as we know and we've seen before, marrying women from pagan nations went directly against the law of God. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to look at several places in Deuteronomy. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. <clears throat> Now, I want, to, I want to remind you that the king, whatever king was reigning over Israel during this time, it was a requirement for them to know the law of God. It was a requirement for them to, to read the book of Deuteronomy. So Solomon knew this. Solomon read what we're about to read. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee. Look what it says. The Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them from before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter... Thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art and holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. So God is very clearly telling his people here 
that you are not to marry women from pagan nations. But not only that, he says, don't even make a covenant with them. Don't show them mercy. And by, by all means, do not marry them. Do not have an association like that with them. He says, instead, you need to destroy them. Now, we know uh, in Joshua we saw that, didn't we? Whenever they went and they conquered land, they destroyed the place. They would burn down all the buildings. They would take the spoils of war. But he says, destroy them, smite them, destroy the altars, burn their graven images. In essence, you know what he's saying? Do not tolerate their idolatry. Don't tolerate it. And what a great message for us as God's people today. Listen, do not tolerate idolatry. Now this is going to really be a theme throughout this message. And I think it would be wise for us as Christians, just think for a moment right now, what is an idol in my life? You know, it's, it's really easy, really easy to allow idolatry, subtle idolatry to happen in our life. What is an idol in your life? Instead of tolerating idolatry, we should be going to the extremes that God is mentioning in this passage. Now, of course, we don't have to burn down buildings and, and, and do things crazy like that. But if there is something in your life that is causing God to be second place, then you need to get rid of it. If that means getting a new job, get a new job. If that means smashing your f- smartphone and getting a flip phone like Chris has, <laughs> then by all means, do it. If that means throwing your television out, then throw your television out. If that means cutting ties with ungodly influences, then listen, cut those ties. If that means uh, just going to the extremes, listen, go to the extremes. If that's what you have to do, we need to stop tolerating idolatry and enabling idolatry in our life. We need to cut off the hand. Solomon's toleration of his, this idolatry, it would lead to the place that we're reading about in 1 Kings chapter 11. It would lead to his great spiritual decline. Now, you may say, well, why, why are you talking like this? Why do you have such urgency? Well, I have, there's a couple reasons why I, I speak with urgency, okay? For one, because we have been conditioned as Americans to just do whatever pleases us, haven't we? I mean, come on, we, ha- we have. That's what we've been conditioned to do. If it makes my life convenient, if it makes me happy, if it benefits me in any way, then we just keep it in our life, and in doing so, so often we tolerate idolatry. And I also say this with urgency, and, and, and I'm saying, saying it in this manner because, again, I know personally how easy it is to fall into idolatry. I know how easy it is to tolerate that which takes my heart and my mind off of the things of God. Now you may be like, what, the pastor, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a man just like you. I, I'm, I'm flesh and blood just like you are. And you know, I've been convicted about this a lot recently. It was, and man, when I was studying this, it was just like God slapping me in the face. It's just like, get with it, pretty much. But as we get convicted about this and as God shows us these things, we need to be sure that we make the strides to do what's necessary because there are so many things that can easily become an idol in our life. And, and one thing 
And I'll just mention this because I think a lot of people can relate to this. And it is something that I have struggled with many times, but something that easily can become an idol in my life and probably in the life of a lot of people in this room right now is the cell phone. The cell phone. And I kind of already mentioned it. Chris, you can leave now because you don't need to be in here. I'm just kidding. But, uh, but I think a lot of us could probably relate to this. I think that the cell phone is probably one of the biggest idols in America today. We have access to innumerable amounts of content on that little device. We have the ability to lose so much time looking at that little screen. And, and then God and his gifts to us get the leftovers. Now, some of you guys right now, when I'm, when I'm saying what I'm going to say, you're going to feel attacked. And you should. I feel attacked just thinking about this. But I, I read some statistics. And it said, I looked these things up online, it says this, listen to this, 85% of U.S. adults own a smartphone as of 2022, but listen to this, the average American spends 5 hours and 24 minutes on their mobile device each day. 5 hours and 24 minutes. On average, Americans check their phones at least 96 times per day. I saw some that said upwards to 300 times per day. Uh, or once every 10 minutes. Again, I saw some that said once every four minutes. So, so here we go, five hours, 24 minutes a day on the phone. But then in contrast, let's just, let's just consider spiritual things, okay? In contrast, uh, I read that nearly 30% of Americans spend five minutes or more in prayer daily. So let's just stop right there. And, and you answer this question yourself. How often do you spend in prayer? How much do we pray? Uh, Statista.com says that 11% of Americans, and again, this isn't necessarily Christians, but Americans in general, read the Bible every day. And of course, that could be 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, I don't know. So, so think about this, okay? 5 hours and 24 minutes a day on the phone, minimum amount of time in the things of God, and so instead of people spending their time doing spiritually beneficial things, and also let me say this, uh, things that will benefit your family, like spending time with your family, we're often obsessed looking at the little screen. Think about this. What could you do in, in five hours every day? What are some things that you could accomplish in five hours? You could do a lot of things. Well, you could do that. But this, this American Idol, the cell phone, is truly what, as... Psalm 115 says, in regards to idols in general, it cannot see, it cannot walk, it cannot converse with you intelligently as a human. It's getting there, but it's not quite there. And yet, so much time and attention is given to them. So, so consider tonight, how much time do you give to your cell phone or your mobile device in comparison to the things of God and to your family, and to the church that God has gifted you with. It's so easy to get sucked into allowing ungodly influences in your life, whether it be from Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, or, or Reels, or Instagram, or whatever it is. And listen, here's what happens. Before you even know it, you tolerated wickedness and ungodliness for so long that eventually you become numb to it. You've been so conditioned, and I've been so conditioned for years to constantly be on the phone that we are we get to the point where we're just tolerating idolatry now you might be wondering tonight well man i wonder if i'm i'm if my cell phone's an idol well if you want to know if your cell phone's an idol just check your screen time that's all you got to do 
If you have an Apple, you can do it. It's right on there. If you have an Android, you can get an application called Stay Free. It'll show you how much time you've spent on your phone in the last 30 days for every day. And I'll tell you what, it might be scary for some of us. But it is so easy to tolerate that sin. And, you know, there are things, a lot of times we have to be very careful, make sure that if things need to change, we need to change it. Now, I'm not saying that I got this all figured out. This is a work in progress, and it should be, right? Uh, it should be, and, and the Lord can guide us through it. But, again, maybe, maybe you can relate with that. Maybe you cannot. Uh, but if not, maybe you struggle with another idol and that you've been tolerating. And if that's the case, you need to cut it off instead of tolerating it. And, again, this is just another example of how easy it is to look at somebody like Solomon and here we may have disdain and say, how, how could he do this? How could he, he love all these strange women? And yet, we can be in the middle of doing the exact same thing, but just in a different way. Tolerating idolatry. So with that being said, uh, God, we, we know, again, Deuteronomy chapter 7, God told him not to do this. He, he told him not to do this because, uh, not because he, he wanted him to be miserable, he didn't, tell, he didn't tell his people, you know, don't, don't marry wives from pagan nations because, you know, I just want you to be miserable and have a terrible life. No, the opposite was true. God made this law because he knew that foreign wives would lead a man to tolerate and then eventually follow after and embrace false gods. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. But Solomon, he, he knew this warning because, again, he knew the law. Let's go ahead a little bit in Deuteronomy to Deuteronomy chapter 17. <clears throat> We are, so we saw already, okay, God said, my people are not to marry women from pagan nations. And now in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, we've seen this before, but he has specific guidelines for kings. And keep in mind that, that Solomon had 700 wives. And look what it says in verse 17. Speaking of kings. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. That his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So look, Solomon knew very clearly the danger that would come with marrying strange women as it was written in the law of God and as kings were required to read it. But he did not only know about this, church, listen, Solomon was not only knowledgeable about this because God told him because it was in the law of God, but Solomon even wrote about this. He wrote several proverbs about avoiding strange women. He, he wrote many proverbs, one of which is found in Proverbs chapter 5. Let's go there, Proverbs chapter 5. Now it could be that Solomon wrote this by inspiration of God, because of the fact that he struggled with this. But again, this just goes to show us that he knew the law of God. He knew what he was supposed to do, but he failed to do it. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> my son, attend to my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Okay, what a strong 
warning this is. He informs us that while being involved with wicked women may bring pleasure for a season, her end is bitter, he says. Her feet go down to death. Her path is unpredictable. You don't have any idea uh, where getting involved with her is going to lead you. But you can know it will lead to a destructive path. And for Solomon, the involvement with all these women would lead him exactly where God said it would. And that was simply a heart that was turned away from God. And you know what we learn from this church? We learn how easy it is to know the word of God and yet not live by it. Again, Solomon knew the word of God. He wrote the word of God. And yet, he did not live by it. He, he rejected it in 1 Kings chapter 11. And it is one thing to know the word of God, but it is a whole other thing to live by it, isn't it? But God, he does not want us to just know his word. He wants us to live by it and obey his word. And look, just because you're here on a Sunday night, and look, if you come on Wednesday nights, great, love having you here. But just because you come to church every time the doors are open, just because you're gaining knowledge of the word of God and you know theology, if, if you're not applying it, it means absolutely nothing. It means nothing. You can have a head full of knowledge about the things of God. You can be an expert in theology and still be so far from God, it's not even funny. I mean, we've seen before in 1 Kings already, Solomon talked to God twice. God appeared to him twice. And here we are. He's rejecting God. His heart has been turned away from him. And we truly should not just desire to know about God, but rather to know Him. Our desire should go beyond wanting to know what would please God and really be mixed with striving to do what pleases Him. Our heart should be a heart that strives to please and glorify God in everything that we do. Again, something we've seen much in theology on Wednesday nights. But because of these women, Solomon's heart was turned from God. His love for God was replaced with these love for women. But even worse than that, our text doesn't just say that he just loved these women. The Bible tells us that he clung to these women in love. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 2 and look at that. Or 1 Kings 11, rather, verse 2. 1 Kings 11, verse 2. It says in verse 2, Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. And look what it says, For they, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And look at what it says, Solomon, clave unto these in love. That word clave is a very important word. It means to be deeply attached. So Solomon, he was deeply attached to these women that God said, Do not have anything to do with them. He was deeply attached to these strange women. Now normally... This word is used of somebody that is faithful and attached to God. And again, this speaks to where Solomon was at one time, but he was not there anymore. Let's see an example of that in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Solomon clave to these women, but God wanted him and he want, wants all of his people to cleave to him. <clears throat> Look at Deuteronomy 13, verse 4. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4 says this, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him 
and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him. And look what it says. And cleave unto him. This again is part of the law of God. Something that Solomon would know. Uh, he would have read. So Solomon knew he was to cleave to God. Solomon knew he was to be faithful to God. He knew he was to be obedient to his commandments. And yet here he is cleaving to these strange women. Here he is cleaving and fastening himself to these uh, pagan women. God was telling his people, and, and again, telling Solomon, hold on to me. Attach yourself to me. Cleave to me and serve me and obey my voice and fear me and keep my commandments. This great God that had done nothing but good for the Israelites and had done nothing but good to Solomon, he just wanted his people to cleave to him. He just wanted his people to love him. And likewise, the God that gives us eternal life and gives us every spiritual blessing and gives us a heavenly inheritance, church, he wants us to cleave to him. And to attach ourselves to anything besides God, it is really utter foolishness when you think about it. Just consider this tonight. Why would any of us attach ourselves to an idol? Why would we cleave to an idol? Why would we attach ourselves to any earthly thing? Why would we attach ourselves to uh, just being motivated by getting riches and gain and pleasure? Why would I attach myself to that which is going to be burned up? Like Solomon, we know how foolish this is. Like Solomon, we know it doesn't make any sense. Like Solomon, we know that God is more important than any idol that we may have. And yet, if we tolerate it even for a moment... We are putting ourselves at risk to soon cleaving to it and living for it, just as Solomon did. Now, to Solomon, these wives were seen not really as trophies, but rather women that he loved and he cleaved to. And we're informed in our text of the vast number of wives and concubines that, that Solomon possessed. And I've already kind of mentioned it. But I want to take note uh, in 1 Kings 11. Go back there to 1 Kings 11 and look at verse 3. We see here that... It wasn't the, the concubines of Solomon that, that turned his heart away from God, but rather his wives. His wives turned his heart away from God. Look at 1 Kings 11, verse 3. <clears throat> it says, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Now, in this day, if you were a king, or if you just a person in general, the more wives that you had, the more important and wealthy people would think that you were. That's just the way it was in this culture. A large number of wives was a sign of, of wealth. It was a sign of importance. But here's the here's problem. To do so was a sin against God, and Solomon knew it. Sure, it was culturally acceptable, and it was a sign of importance if you had a lot of wives, but to do that was to go against God. So Solomon, he very clearly got to the point where he was more concerned with the, uh, how he was viewed in the eyes of people than he was about how he was viewed in the eyes of God. So instead of being obedient to God, and, and again, not multiplying horses and chariots. Again, remember Deuteronomy 17. Uh, that's exactly what Solomon did. Instead of being obedient to God and not multiplying his wealth and his gold and his silver, that's exactly what he did. 
Instead of being obedient to God and not multiplying uh, his wives and marrying women from pagan nations, that's exactly what Solomon did. And these laws that God had written were made by him to stop what happened to Solomon from happening at all. They were made to be safeguards against idolatry and a heart that is turned away from God. And in these really seemingly little things that may have seemed insignificant, they all turned out to be snares and traps that would bring Solomon down to this deep pit in 1 Kings 11. These wives were really the straw that broke the camel's back, and they were uh, really, they, they brought him so far away from the God that he once loved so dearly. And as always happens, when our heart is turned from God, you understand it's always turned to something else. If we are not giving God our love, if we're not giving God our worship and our adoration and our time and attention, it automatically goes somewhere else. Well, let's look at verse 4. <clears throat> verse 4, 1 Kings 11. It says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So Solomon's reign, it started out with a love for God, reverence for God. It started out with him clinging to God, cleaving to Him, being faithful to Him, desiring to please Him with everything that he did. And eventually, his love for God got replaced with a love for women. His heart was turned from God and towards false gods. We're going to see more about this in a few weeks. His heart was no longer perfect with God as David his father's was. And when we know that it was David's desire... For his son to be a man after God's own heart, wasn't it? He wanted him to uh, follow after the commandments of God, but uh, he failed at that at this point of his life. Now, as it often is in the, with the kings of Israel in 1 Kings, David was the standard by which kings were judged by. They were expected to act and deal with things uh, as David did, the kings were, and, and that included his son Solomon. But here's the thing, <clears throat> church. This was not because David did not sin. I mean, think about that for a moment. Did David sin? Oh, yeah, he did. He did some terrible things. It was not because he did not sin. The reason that he was the standard by which all other kings were to be judged by was because when he did sin, he responded properly. Let's look at Psalm chapter 32. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 32 and look at verse 5. We know uh, Psalm 51, it talks about his asking of forgiveness from God. But look at Psalm 32 and verse 5. This is what Solomon did, or what David did when he sinned. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 32. He says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee. Unto who? God. And let's just stop right there. He didn't make excuses for his sin. We're really good at doing that, aren't we? We, we think the worst of everybody else when they sin, but when I sin, oh, you know, I didn't really mean that, right? He, he didn't do that. He didn't make excuses for his sin. Look what it says again in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, God, and mine iniquity <coughs> I have not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgave us the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Hey, look, the proper response to any sin in our life 
is to confess it to God and forsake it. It is to repent and restore the relationship between us and God. It's not to tolerate it, but rather to get rid of it. And this was a difference between Solomon and David. David was often diligent to get rid of the sin that was in his life before it got too out of control. But Solomon just continued on in his life of sin. And the small sins, it led to a great decline in his life. So the question for each of us to, to ask ourselves tonight again is this. What sins am I allowing and I am tolerating in my life that I need to get rid of? Again, none of us are exempt from this. What am I allowing to have control that I need to cut out? What earthly thing is taking my worship away from God? What sin or idol am I tolerating that I should instead be getting rid of? Look, the Bible makes it very clear that sin, it begins with desire and eventually it leads to death. James chapter 1 verse 15. Sin promises good and yet it brings evil. Sin promises fulfillment, and yet, as it did with Solomon, it, brought, it brings emptiness and vanity. Sin promises joy, yet it brings despair. And the only solution to staying away from the state of spiritual decline that Solomon dealt with is just to stop tolerating sin, period. All of these seemingly small sins of Solomon, it led to this disaster that we're reading about. And listen, church, you need to hear this. When it comes to sin in our life, we have to deal with it head on. We have to deal with it immediately. We have to deal with it aggressively. Every sin that's in our heart that we struggle with, it has to be dealt with. We have to do, as Colossians chapter 3 tells us, and mortify our sin. I know John Owens, maybe you've, you probably heard him. I've quoted him before. A Puritan. He once wrote this. He said this, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Hey Christian, what, what sin do you need to kill? What sin do you need to mortify? Many of the Puritans, such as John Owens, they used to compare small sins to baby snakes. They would rightfully say that they were small yet deadly. They would say if you allowed them to live and you fed them, eventually they will grow into huge serpents and they will take over and they will be very deadly. And church, small sins, small sins are the exact same way. They are like baby snakes. If you allow sin to reign in your life, if you continue to feed that sin and you continue to let it grow, it will do great damage in your spiritual life. So listen, do you see your sins as dangerous as these snakes? Our daily prayer, again, we're talking about David here a little bit. Our daily prayer should be the prayer of David. And, I'm, and I mean this, church. Every day we should be praying the prayer of David that he prayed in Psalm 139. Let's go there. Last place we'll turn. I want you to see this. <clears throat> we cannot tolerate our sin. Look at Psalm chapter 139, verse 23. Now, we really, we do live in a day where we are told that we do need to tolerate sin, aren't we? <laughs> we got to be tolerant, right? We got to be, be careful. No, no, no. The Bible tells us we're to expose sin, we're to point it out. But again, it doesn't, we're not just to point out and expose the sins that everybody else struggles with. We need to 
we need to make sure that we are looking and examining our hearts to see what sins we struggle with and not tolerate it in our own life either. Look at Psalm 139 and verse 23. <clears throat> what is David's prayer here? Every day this should be our prayer, church. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Hey, you know God, he knows your heart. He knows your heart. He knows your struggles. He knows your sin. There's no point in even trying to hide it because he already knows. Ask God, search my heart. Know my heart. Search me. Look what it says. Try me. Know my thoughts. Look at verse 24. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Hey, look, if you ask God to, to see if there's any wicked way in you every day, you know what? He's going to show you something because we're carnal. We're sinful. We, it's a constant battle. And he will show us. But if we fail to search our heart and we fail to weed out the sin that's in our life on a daily basis, we risk having our story be as devastating and as tragic as Solomon's was. Now I want to I want to close by looking back at our text. Look at 1 Kings chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 11. I want to close by looking at this, this key verse. Look at verse 3, the latter part of verse 3. We've already looked at this, but this is how I want to close it, okay? <clears throat> Look at what it says. Of his wives, his concubines, all this, it says this again. And his wives turned away his heart. His wives turned away his heart. Now let, let's just stop for a moment and consider this, okay? If you were to fill in the blanks that I'm about to tell you here, at the end of your life, based on how you're living right now, what would you truthfully have to say? If you were to say, okay, uh, it came to pass. Uh, well, let's look at verse 4, too. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after, their, after other gods. If you were to fill in the blanks, let's just say, for it came to pass when fill in your name there was old that their blanks turned away his heart after other gods. If you were to continue living your life the way that you're living it right now, what would you truthfully have to say? Would there be something that possibly could I'd be pulling your heart away from God and to something else. I just I thought about this for myself. Maybe uh, it would be for you or for I. I just consider maybe uh, the if, if I had to fill in the blanks for my life, it would say, for it came to pass when Jeremiah, when he was old, his dreams, his pride, his desires, his lust, his ambition, his friends, his lack of discipline in regards to spiritual things or his love of earthly things turned away his heart after other gods. Think about this. How would you fill in the blanks if you were to put your name in that verse, if you keep doing the same thing that you're doing right now? I want you to know tonight that Solomon's story does not have to be your story. It doesn't. The end of your story does not have to be like Solomon's where he was really in the, the depths of depression. He was in the mire of sin. He was chasing his fleshly desires over the things of God. He, he saw everything as pointless and empty and futile. Your life does not have to be like that now or later. And, and maybe there's some people right now, you're in that. You feel that way. You feel like you are just in the, the depths of sin and you're, crawl, you're trying to crawl to get out. You're clawing your way out and you're having a hard time. You don't have to finish like Solomon finished. You don't have to have uh, this happen in your life like Solomon did. You can 
finish well. The desire of our heart and the desire of my heart should be not to have my story end like Solomon, but rather to have it end as Paul. You remember what Paul said to Timothy? You remember what he wrote at the end of his life? Remember what he said? He said, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. What did he say? He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. Paul finished his race well. He started out his life doing terrible things. We know that, right? I mean, he was, we talked about this morning, he murdered Christians. But he finished well. He got saved and he stayed on fire for God. He was faithful to God. But tonight, church, if your life were to end this very moment, would your story end in a manner similar to what we're seeing with Solomon or would it end with you being faithful to God, faithful to his word, and faithful to his work as Paul? The answer to that question totally depends 100% on yourself. So I want to encourage you and, and challenge you to commit this evening to killing whatever sins that are in your life that may seem small. Commit to cutting out whatever sin in your life you've been tolerating. We need to treat every sin in a manner that is consistent with what it is. It is poison. It's poison that only brings about death and a place of vanity and emptiness that Solomon would experience. So again, I say the words of John Owens, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.